Al Berry and Tim Parrish. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry and with me is Tim Parrish. And I promise you we are at least six feet away from each other as we record this podcast. Hope you are all uh, doing well. Tim, how are you doing? I don't have a fever and I don't have a cough, so I'm doing good. I got the fever for the flavor of a Pringle. No, I'm just kidding. I don't like those chips that much. Pringles are awesome. Yeah, I kind of, I don't know. They're not really potato chips. They're called potato crisps, so it makes you wonder what they really are. They're crispy potato-like substances. Right, we don't even know. Yeah, I guess if they have the word potato in them, then they have to be, they have to have potatoes in them. You, You would assume. Well, I don't know. The way the FDA keeps selling us out. <laughs> yeah, you never know. You know, they could put GMOs in, in our food and we not only do we not have the right to know if the food has GMOs in it, but we don't have the right to sue manufacturers who put GMOs in the foods that we eat. Think about that. I don't want to. I'd rather See, think you, about hockey. And you think and you, th- you think a virus <laughs> outbreak is bad. And here I'm talking about how our government is trying to not poison us, but just kind of step aside and be like, well, yeah, you know, if they have these bad foods and he's got these bad things in them, well, uh, can't even say let the buyer be- beware because we don't know. But, uh, yeah, hockey or lack thereof. Right now we'd be talking about what teams might be making the playoffs, what teams might be winning, uh, you know, going on to win the Stanley Cup, uh, who the old men without a cup are, you know, besides the obvious two, Jumbo Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe. Uh, we'd be we'd be talking about all these things, you know, who's going to finish last, who's going to get that first overall draft pick. All of these things would be stuff that we'd all be excited to talk about right now. Instead, it's like the things we're talking about are washing our hands, staying home, covering our cough with our elbow and not our hand uh what uh what other things we were looking forward to that are uh almost inevitably going to get canceled and i'm not trying to sound like a pessimist here i'm just saying a lot of stuff's going on but it's not the stuff that we would normally be obsessing over right now crazy world we live in right now yeah it is i uh you know it's funny i saw that you were organizing uh your collection because you I have, have been you have time on your hands oh well, i'm still i'm still working from home um i fortunately have a job that does not require being tethered to a desk at a certain place at a certain time as long as i have access to a phone and the internet i'm good so i can work from home but uh in the infinite amounts of free time since i have nothing else going on and you know the kids are locked in their house, so I'm kind of here by myself, my wife and I. So, you know, gives me plenty of time to dip into the cardboard and and start putting stuff uh, where it belongs that it hasn't been in its proper place for years. Some of it. So, are you the type of collector who has piles of cards on their desk that need to be put away or dealt with in some fashion? Many times I have, 
Um, but what ends up happening in my case is I get sick of looking at them. So I just pile them all up and stick them in a box and then forget they're in there and then find the box later on and go, what in the world kind of repack box is this? Oh, wait, it's something <laughs> I put together. And so then I start going through it. I forgot I had this card. I forgot I had this card. And I start getting frustrated. That's, that's, the, that's the bad part about trying to get organized. It's because you, well, in me, in my case, when it gets so far out of control that you try to get into it and you just get frustrated because the more things you find to fix, it uncovers more things that need fixed. And then it just snowballs from there. And then I would just throw up my hands and be like, yeah, whatever, I'm done. And walk away from it. Well, I've actually been spending the time and trying not to get frustrated with it up to this point and mark things and sort things, label things and put things where they go. So it's been interesting. I've uncovered plenty of things that I didn't know I had. Oh, yeah? Like what? Um, you know, sets that I had been putting together that I forgot that never made it to a binder and really never made it anywhere. We're still in boxes of commons, um, piles of cards that I picked up from various people or places of set fillers that are still sitting on my checklist as not being checked off. Mm -hmm. that, shockingly enough, I have <laughs> here they are. So, you know, just stuff like that. I rookie uh... cards of players. I, I forgot that I had. I was going to say, you know, when you talk about, like, that frustration uh, of just being overwhelmed, especially with the, so many different types of cards and inserts and stuff, that's why, um, I mean, to a lesser extent, that's why I gave away a lot of my, my cards. Uh, last year, I shipped off, like, five large flat-rate boxes of hockey cards to the uh, charity commons for kids because I was just like, you know, most of the cards were like cards I already had. Right. And so like you have a mix of cards from the nineties or cards from say, say the cards from the early two thousands and you go through them and you say, I have all of these cards, but do I really want to put them in order and then group them by, you know, put them in order and then the subsets and then the set and the other, you know, uh, inserts and stuff like that. So what I did is I would just go through the cards. I'd pull all the cards that I thought I'd want and everything else. I just put in a box and I sent to charity because even if I was going to sell those cards to a, sh a shop and not really make a lot of money off of them anyway, they're not going to take them off of your hands if they're not in order. If you just say, here's a bunch of stuff from the early 2000s what do you give me for it? They'll probably say nothing because they're not going to take the time to sort it or it's going to take them forever to sort it. I mean, case in point, I sold five boxes, five four column boxes of cards to my favorite card shop. And the hard uh, bargain that I drove was 10 bucks a box. So let's say each Just box. commons or what? What was in it? You know, it was commons and semi-stars and it probably some inserts, but nothing nothing groundbreaking. Nothing where you could like pull a card out and say, oh, this is a $10 card. It was all stuff that would have been anywhere from whatever a common card sells to for maybe a quarter or 50 cents, like kind of around there. And I did this, I did this like three or four years ago. And what's funny is that 
I was able to negotiate. I'm like, how about 10 bucks per box credit? Okay, fine. So I had 50 bucks credit, which I spent there over time. And to this day, they still have those four monster boxes sitting behind their counter. <laughs> and I'll say to one of the owners, I'll be like, are those the cards that I sold you? And they'll be like, yeah. And I said, you never moved them into your inventory, did you? And they're like, no. And I'm like, but, you know, they were, I actually put them in order, and they're like, yeah, we know. But it was just like, you know, it's even for, like, a, a, a baseball card store or, you know, sports card store. It, it's just such a time suck for them, even, even though they're that they're in order, just to take those cards and then to put them in their inventory. I don't know. But anyway, so, yeah. So that's why I just I gave away a lot of the cards. Um, I did find something cool, though. Because I have this work table that's just been become overrun with stuff. You know, any anything that's flat gets overrun with stuff. I found a card that I forgot that I had, which was kind of neat. It's a 1997-1998 uh, Pacific. If you remember Pacific, uh, it's a it's something called a Kramer's Choice oh, Jumbo. Yeah. yeah, those triangle cards. Those triangle cards, right? So it's a uh, it's it's actually it's supposed to look like a pyramid, I think, because it's got a little bit of dimensionality going to it over here, where it's like cut in the corner, so it kind of looks like giving a little bit of perspective, like it's it's a uh, pyramid or whatnot. But uh, yeah, I found this card, and I was just like, oh, I forgot I had this. That's kind of cool, and uh, you know now I got to do something with it because it's it's out now. It's it's not buried under other cards and wrappers and unopened packs and like i'd put like a box set in pages and i would just toss the box on this table and it just i was just like you know here's this table that's just overrun with things i just need yeah. to get rid of these things or put them away or organize them good luck putting that in page uh it'll fit in a five by seven pocket okay only you have five by seven pocket pages what doesn't everybody <laughs> have all the all of them no, no, they they do not. Okay. In fact, in fact, I, other than nine pocket pages, I actually found that I had eight pocket pages, and I'm like, mm -hmm. what? Where did these come from? They were inside of a box of nine pocket pages. Half the box was nine, and half was eight. Were you excited or angered by this mm -hmm. discovery? No, it it I it bothered the crap out of me. I'm like, what like am I going to do with these? They're good for horizontal cards. But I don't have any sets that are all horizontal to stick in there. So go buy a set of 89 Bowman Baseball, and that'll you can use your pages that way. No. Not, I'll, send you, no. I'll send you a set of 88 Tops Big Baseball. No. I have uh, like five unopened boxes that I'm slowly opening and building into sets. No, no. You can you, you cannot do that, and I'll be happy. So, um, all right. <laughs> so tell me if this is weird. Just... I have, I have like two boxes of nine pocket pages. One is still unopened. The other one's half used. So I got nine pocket pages. I have eight pocket pages. I have six pocket pages. I have four pocket pages. I have three pocket pages. I have two pocket pages. I have one pocket eight by 10 pages. And I have one pocket eight and a half by 11 pages. And then I also have the 15 pocket tobacco card sized pages or, you know, champs minis, if you will. And I have the 
20 pocket um, pog pages. So in other words, you are a baseball card supply shop. I could be if I wanted to, but you know, if you wanted more than 50 or whatever of each, I might be in trouble. Cause like half of the um, things you named, I didn't know existed. So hold on now, you know, six pocket pages exist because of tall boy cards, right? Yes. And you know that 15 pocket pages exist because of those uh, old tobacco cards, right? I didn't know there were 15 pocket ones because the ones I have are, I think, 20 or 25 pocket. Well, what are you putting your champs minis in? That Those. They're like a 20, I think they're 25 pocket. Maybe 20. Oh, uh, they could be, you know, they 20 could be, minimum, 25. They could max. be, they could be 20. I don't remember, honestly, now that I think about it, but just basically if they make a card page that size, I have, I have, I have some just because I like to put things in binders. And when, you know, you're putting together, say like a set of like 0506 beehive, right? Where you have your normal cards and then you have your five by seven cards. Well, I want to put those five by seven cards in pages as well. So I have five by seven pages. My my beehive cabinet cards that I have are just in a pile. If they're not if they're not fancy ones that I wanted to stick into like a top loader, they're just in a stack sitting on yeah, a shelf. That's all great. Until, like, <laughs> it's all great until the cat pukes on them and they stick together, and then that's the end of your your beehive cabinet card collection. My cat's no better than that. Yeah, they will become tacos. Do you remember those um do you remember those uh uh story of America cards? Story of America. Okay, so you've seen those it sounds familiar. Okay, you remember okay, so you've seen those sportscaster cards at shows, right? Yeah, I have some of those. Okay. I have like so, a bunch of the hockey ones. So for for those of you who are uh too young to remember life before Wikipedia, you're probably not listening to this podcast. I think most of you who are listening to this podcast probably remember the 80s as fondly as we do. Um, but in the 70s and in the 80s, what they would do, like the, the precursor to Wikipedia, was making these cards. On the front would have a photo or an illustration of some sort. And on the back, it would have like maybe um, a 400-word account of whatever that thing was so like uh with these sportscaster cards which were made in the 70s maybe on the front it would be like a picture of Guy Lafleur, and i'd say like Guy Lafleur, and on the back would have like his bio or maybe it'd be like montreal canadiens and then on the back it'd have like a little history of the team so um you would buy these cards in like packs they were mail order and then they'd send them to you but then in the 80s uh there was this other set called story of america yep that's the one yeah, yeah. See, I knew where cast. these were. These were right. These were right handy where I could grab them. I've got uh, Mister. Who we got on here? This is. Uh, this is gonna be exciting for those who can't see what you're looking yes, at. Yes, yes, I know. We'll have to scan some of these and throw them on. I might have a few that I could. That, that... I don't know who this is. It's a Ranger player. Well, hold it's it probably up. Probably Roger Bear. Probably Roger Bear. Yeah, yeah. looks like Roger Bear. Yeah, got another one that's got. There's Guy Lafleur with uh, the seven professional trophies. So you're right. It's got pictures of various things. The Spengler Cup. Mm-hmm. The equipment. Mm-hmm. So yeah. on and so forth. You got the the Soviet 
the Soviet hockey team. I, I don't know where I picked these up, but I got like a whole, whole big pile of. They're all hockey. All these, all of these are hockey. I bought a much. bunch at the national. Nineteen seventy-seven. Two years ago. Copyright. So anyway, so they had these. They had these cards. They made these cards called sportscasters, and then they also um, would. They did these other ones in the eighties called Story of America, which were like history cards, right? And, you know, it'd be like first man on the moon, and it'd be like a picture of Neil Armstrong, and on the back it would talk about like the the space expedition or like the front would be like um the boston massacre and then the you know and have like that that famous like illustration of the boston massacre and then the back would be like a retelling of of what happened on that day and stuff like that so i, I remember just having these and as a kid just like being very lax about yeah you know, i didn't really take care of them because whatever i read them and i ended up they ended up on a pile in a pile on the floor and my grandma's cat peed all over them and they stuck together. And that was the end of my story of America cards. Not that I missed them or anything, but the thing is, is like, see, now if I had put those in pages, like you should put your cards in pages. I know long winded, long winded anecdote to get to this point is that they're going to be in, they're going to be in better shape than if you just kind of leave them in a pile. Well, these bad boys are in some kind of weird makeshift. Um... Yeah, it's like a folder. Joshua Meyer PA series folder cut. I don't know. I have no idea what this is. It looks like it came from something else and it was cut and these were slid in it and it fits them fine. And that's where they live. So that works too. So we've, uh, okay. So we've, we've already burnt up the first 20 minutes of this podcast with our witty banter. Why don't we actually talk about some (laughs) NHL news? So, um, Uh... Hey, or let's start with the KHL. I love the way the the KHL canceled their season uh, only after the two non-Russian teams in the league said, screw this, we're going home. It was the Kazakhstan team and the the Finnish team, Jokerit, were basically like, yeah, okay, this is unsafe. We don't want to do this anymore. So then the KHL's like, well, okay, fine. Uh, We had eight teams in the playoffs. We'll just we'll just do six teams in the playoffs, right? And then they're, and then I think they just kind of came to their senses and they're like, yeah, no, okay. You know, it's funny. Only Russia would keep making their hockey players play in a in a worldwide epidemic. Yeah, you'd like to think that we're not in Soviet Russia any longer, but it makes you wonder when they make oh. some of the decisions that they do. Oh, I have no doubt that they're they're not they I mean look at them you look at the man at the top XKGB they're totally back if if not overtly covertly What you don't you don't trust the guy that rides shirtless on horseback? I don't know. He did score 6 goals in that one pickup game they were running. That's right. Nobody let him score at all. No. That was, all, that was pure skill. <laughs> Dude, it's funny. He's like he, he, I think if I remember correctly, he's a left-handed shot, and the goalie dives to the right so he can shoot. It, it, mm-hmm. was, just, it was just hilarious. Like, how reminded, fun- reminded me of the days of watching Gretzky play. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? Never mind. You know when I uh, uh, when when I used to run my pickup game uh, every week before the uh, the plague hit. Um, we we had this one guy who would never pass the puck and he would just he'd he'd skate end to end and he would like skate around the net 
and he wouldn't pass the puck to anybody. And everybody got sick of him on both teams. And the goalies got sick of him. And so it was funny because, like, the goalie just skated away from the crease. And he, like, shot it in the net and, like, celebrated. And then he realized that the goalie had skated over to the circle. Because he had just got so mad about this guy. Just, like, um, sh- not, not even showboating. Just being just a, sh- a shitty sport. You know what I mean? Like... Like he you would call just... him a ball hog normally. So what would you call him? A puck hog? Oh yeah, puck hog is an actual hockey term. Alright. Yeah. So a puck hog. So okay, so KHL is um is 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 done. Uh yeah. finally. KHL's finally done. All the Canadian leagues are completely done. There's there's nothing. Sports is dead. Just dead. There aren't sports. Unless so... you can do it by yourself alone in your own house. And I'm not even going to get into that sport at all. Here, we can talk about that later. Well, that would be uh, that would be uh, e-gaming, e-sports, like League of Legends or something. Oh yeah, okay. I don't know what that is, but it's a video game. Oh, okay. All right, so the NHL's postponing its uh, scouting combine, award show, and draft, which is their way of saying we're going to continue this season if we can. We just need a little more time. Yeah, and, you know, everything that the NHL puts out, obviously they can't put out a lot because there's not really anything to put out. No decisions have been made, but the discussions keep going on. They want to have the season if they can. Um, You know, the, the last time we did a show between then and now, you know, the GMs were actually asked by the league to look into their scheduling about building availabilities into August, uh, which kind of tells me that they might possibly try to come up with something. Um, because look, you have to you have to look at it from all the different standpoints here. You're talking about a ton of revenue, um, and that's that's the bottom line. Players would want it. I mean, granted, nobody wants to be playing the you know a season that never ends but at the same time from a revenue standpoint you know you're talking i think i read something like 1.5 billion dollars of revenue that would be lost total by just putting the kibosh on the entire season for all 31 teams um and that eats into the escrow money that's you know shared as part of the cba and everything else and you know, I'm not going to get into what that entails now because it's very confusing and it it even I don't understand half of it. But essentially, it boils down to a huge chunk of market share that the players would be out of. So, um, you know, I I think it would if they if they could figure out a way logistically to do it, if they ever get the all clear, then. I I feasibly could see something, um, even if it's not even if it's not a regular season finishing out, even if it's just some type of abbreviated playoff format mm-hmm. that allows for some type of play in for certain teams versus the teams that are already in a position. But again, we're speculating. We don't know. I mean, it's it's a guess at this point. The NHL doesn't know. We don't know. We're all just guessing. So what if, uh, all right, so what if, um, 
what of this now, uh, how they might redo the draft if the season is ultimately canceled? Because they're still going to want to draft players. So how do you how do you determine that now with um, with with if, if, the, if the season is canceled, you're still going to want to draft prospects. So how, how is the NHL? What might they do to make that happen? Honestly, I don't see them. I don't see them really changing it, but I hear a lot of talk and different people are coming up with possibilities of various ways to make the draft play out more conducive to a season that's been cut short. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the, one of the, the theories or proposals I've heard thrown around is a tournament to determine who gets the top pick um, based off of, you know, where they, where teams would finish uh, depending on a season. Look, I mean, from a financial standpoint, sure. That'd be great for some of the teams that may or may not have made the playoffs, but come on. I don't think you're going to get players on board for that. Honestly, if that, if it came down to something like that, if the league decided to say, we're going to have this play in tournament to decide whether or not you get, you know, three balls in the draft lottery or two balls in the draft lottery. Come on. You're gonna so get... then you're just rewarding the teams that are better than the other teams. Well, on the other hand, you're going to make teams that are garbage play play-in games that count for what? Oh, play hard for us, you, team, you players on this team that aren't going to be on the team next year because you're all free agents and you're going to leave. Play hard so we can get a good draft pick for a, a player that you may never play with ever in your career and make our franchise better while you go play for another franchise next season. Wow. <laughs> you're not going to get, you're not going to get buy-in. You're really not. I mean, I, I, that's why I don't think from a financial standpoint, it'd probably work out, but I don't think you can get buy-in from the players. I think that's crazy. So like, just the just the banter that I've heard on the social medias about that, I I laugh at because there's, uh, it's silly. I think it's silly. I think what they'll do is, if it comes down to that draft, they'll just set it up like if if the season end, like let's say it's canceled, done, kaput, mm-hmm. funny. We're going to. I would the only logical way is to just roll it out like it normally would be. Mm-hmm. Look at where the teams finish the season, rank them, and then everybody that's, you know, from top to bottom gets the same setup they would during a normal if they would during a normal season. Mm-hmm. Now obviously the Stanley Cup champion, there isn't one. Um, you know, ranking teams at the end of the playoffs based off of how they finished. Obviously, you wouldn't be able to do that, so you'd have to just go by regular season. It's really the only thing you could do. I don't have a better solution. No, other, I think other I than think play rock paper scissors. Ooh, that could be fun. It could. It would get pretty heated, though. Some of those GMs don't like each other very much. I have an idea. They could actually maybe they do this for the the, the draft pick. Um. Here's here's my million dollar idea. You get the NHL players 
the actual players. You get them each an Xbox and a copy of an HL20. And you have them play online against each other. So say you have like five Blackhawk players. And it doesn't have to be the best players. Just five Blackhawks and five players from another team. And you have them play online against each other and HL20. Either we do this as uh, something to just uh, <laughs> something to watch while there's no hockey on, or maybe we make this the 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 uh, the uh, uh, for for the first overall pick, second overall pick, whatever. Right? Could you imagine that? How would you determine that? I don't know. I just think it'd be fun. I think it'd be fun as hell. Mic them all up, you know. Have them do the little picture-in-picture thing. So oh, no gets, doubt it would be fun. Because I want to see yeah. I want to see Andrew Shaw and Patrick Kane trash talk Sidney Crosby when they're beating him at NHL 20 because Crosby's too busy making commercials and doing endorsement deals for Tim Hortons to be hanging out and playing and getting good at NHL 20. Well, that's what I'm saying. How many how many players on every team are are actually good at video games? I don't know. I think it'd be funny if they were bad at video games. I think it'd be funny if they somebody gave Joe Thornton a controller and say, "Here you go, Joe. <laughs> Figure it out." Yes, there's more than one button. He might be good. You never know. Yeah, Joe's a few years younger than me. Um, I'm okay. I think with me, like I, I, everybody has like their breaking point, like. For, like, my parents' generation, they all loved Atari. But when I got a Nintendo, it's like, this has two buttons and a dial. Where's the joystick? I'm like, the joystick is the dial. And it doesn't break as often. And, okay, you have two buttons now instead of one. So you can actually do more in the game, you know. And then the Super Nintendo had six buttons. And to me, that was perfect. And then when it got, like, crazy with all the extra shoulder buttons and then the little buttons off to the side and, like any controller where you had to like physically like pick up your hand and move it to be in a different place to access certain buttons. That's kind of when I just, I, I, I lost interest, not because of the buttons, but like, because then you had all these functions. That's why I never liked PC gaming because a keyboard has so many keys on it. So they're going to make every single one of those keys do something. Not really, but you know what I mean. Now, now you have to learn the commands for like 20 different buttons instead of just four or six or eight buttons. Yeah. But somehow the kids figure it out. And I don't, I can't. That's why I like, that's why I like the Wii. It had like two buttons, an arrow key and a trigger. And every other than that, you just flailed your arms around like an idiot. That's why it was great. That's why it was a great game. No, and and no, that's the thing though, is but as kids, we figured out other things. I mean, and if we were kids if we were kids now or if we had that technology back then, we would have figured it out too. Because when you're a kid, you just have time. You have time to figure things out. I mean, you're not going out on a Friday night. Maybe you're playing sports or something for your, your team, but you know, usually like you have more time. Yeah, and I guess your your brain's a little easier to meld and figure stuff out. I mean, I remember me and my friends like beating games because we had nothing else to do. We it might be summer and raining outside, so yeah, we're just gonna play video games for four hours in a row because we have the time to do this and we have the time to figure this out, right? Yeah. Yeah, I could I could see that. 
Yeah, so put the NHL players up to an NHL 20 tournament or something, and that could be for, um, I don't know, the draft order. That could be just for fun. I, I don't really care. I just think it'd be funny as hell. Well, I'll have to get on the uh, get on the bat phone and call uh, call Gary. Let him yeah. Know. And wouldn't that be the bat phone? Yeah, but isn't that what I said? Bat I phone? Thought, I thought you said the bat phone. Uh, bat phone, bat phone. It doesn't matter. When you pick it up, instead of a dial tone, it's just booing. <laughs> That's, hey, you know, um, what's his name on uh, Hockey Central, the old hockey coach? Is that uh, Burke? Sean Burke? Brian Burke? Brian Burke. Sean Burke. Why did I say that? Brian Burke, yeah. Yeah, Sean Burke. Where the hell did that come from? I don't know. Yeah, Brian Burke, he said something I agreed with the other day. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he was like, oh, and the fans boo Gary Bettman, and they're stupid for doing that. He didn't say that, but he just said they're foolish or whatever. I totally agreed with him on that. I think, like, I no, swear to God, I would love to meet Gary Bettman because he grabbed the NHL by its collar and dragged it forcibly into the 20th century. In the, in the late 90s. Like, he dragged that league kicking in. Like, he was the commissioner that they needed because they hired him and then he made them do things that they didn't want to do, but they needed to do. And when people are like, oh, yeah, he's, you know, he's putting all these teams in, in these Sunbelt states where people don't like hockey. Well, guess what? They like hockey now, 20 years later. Yeah, but he also gets the stigma of being blamed for all of the work stoppages. So, and maybe he had, and maybe that had to be done. I mean, that that is a stigma. He gets blamed for, you know, he gets blamed for that. But now, look at how profitable the league is. Right. The player salaries are higher than ever. Players have more control over their careers than ever. I'm not saying he's a bad, you know, he's a bad leader at all. I'm just saying that. The thing to do is to boo Gary Bettman. See, and, <laughs> and I know, and I, even I, the even the casual NHL fans, they even they even see that and and understand. Well, so it's see, become a thing. I don't think it even bothers him either. No, he laughs. I think he laughs because he's so used to it. Because that's what fans do. So what was it? One time he said, I think he said, I don't know if it was at Boston Garden. Oh, sorry, not Boston Gardens. Um, wherever the the Bruins play, and we'll talk about TD the Bruins. Garden. TD Gardens, thank you. Like, I think, um, what was it? He wasn't during the Stanley Cup when he presented the Blues, the Cup, but he was presenting something to somebody. It could have been one of the, 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 the president trophies or one of the, the, the conference champion trophies. And I think he just said to the fans, oh, come on, you could boo better than that or yeah. something. See, <laughs> that was... So it's, it's become a rate, it's become such a, ingrained thing that it's just the thing to do and i know like a lot of people hate it but i find it amusing yeah i mean i i wait a lot of people hate it yeah a lot of people share that no a lot of people share that opinion which opinion my opinion no that well your opinion or brian burke's opinion or you know a lot a lot of the um i don't want to say hockey purists because that's not the right word, but a, a lot of the older, I think the older generation guys, the, the, 
the wrong, I keep using the wrong words, but the builder type guys don't like it. And I've heard, I've heard many of them talk about why they don't understand it and it doesn't make sense to them. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't get it either. But anyway, um, so uh, speaking of TD Gardens, the uh, brooms are laying off their uh, staff. Yeah, you believe this? Last week we talked about how what a joke of an organization they are, and and how um, yeah, the guy's know, a billionaire. The, yeah, and they were the last team to even mention that they were going to help out employees at all from a financial mm-hmm. standpoint. And then they put the little caveat in there that said that, well, we'll help them out as long as the last six games actually officially get canceled by the NHL. So now this week they announced uh, that they are going to be doing a financial restructuring of their company, which includes, you know, taking, 68 full-timers and putting them on leave and taking 82 full-timers uh, and giving them indefinite salary reductions. Part-timers um, or full-timers? Oh, 62 full-timers and 82 part uh, full-timers. 60, I think they announced it was 68 full-timers are being put on temporary leave. Yeah, I see it here now. And 82 full-time and 82 full-timers were hit with indefinite yeah, reduction. Yeah, and like you said, we're talking about a guy that's worth four billion dollars or three plus billion dollars. It's it's billions of dollars, the guy and the company and everything else. And I get it, but the fact is, you have a social media firestorm waiting to destroy you, and there's a global pandemic, and every sports team in America is facing the same exact thing you are. And all of them are showing that they're willing to step up and do something for their employees. And this is what you do. You're the last team to jump out and say you're willing to help. And you're the first team to start giving people pink slips. Mm-hmm. Really? Really? I, I just, I don't, I, I don't understand. Honestly, I I couldn't hate the team more. And, and I'm saying I'm not saying hate because I really hate them, but like this is this is sports fan hatred for a team, right? He's I, it's embarrassing. If I was a Bruins fan, I would be I would be embarrassed. And I I know it doesn't have anything to do with the team per se, as in the players and all of that kind of thing. I get it. It's the business aspect of it. And I totally understand where people come from when it's running a business because obviously you're not in business to lose money. You're in business to make money. And you don't become a billionaire without knowing what you're doing from a business standpoint. But this environment, I mean, come on. A global pandemic is affecting everyone. And the sports world is on hold. I mean, this is sports makes hundreds of trillions of dollars a year in all of, you know, the major four sports or, you know, add soccer into that, add, you know, college sports, you know, 
just pile it up. And here's an organization that is a professional organization, one of the original six in the NHL, huge fan base. You know, New England teams are high profile. The Red Sox, the Patriots, the Bruins, you know, they're on TV all the time. They're in people's face all the time. To to become the poster children for this ridiculousness? Come on. Yeah, that's uh Yeah, that, that seems kind of uh kind of low. I mean, yeah, like you said, especially since they were the last team to say, Oh, we'll we'll help our employees and then they put a big asterisk next to it, right? You know, terms and conditions will apply. Right. Yeah, it's exactly you what see they official did. rules for details. Yeah, right. <laughs> Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. And then, and then, and then, no purchase necessary to win because you're fired. <laughs> because you're fired. No I mean, that's. Uh... I mean, here's the thing: how many teams have actually come out and said, "Well, you know, we have to do this, we have to do that," and then all of a sudden reversed it, and they're like, "You know what? No, we're all in this together, and let's do this." And whether you believe that we are all in this together thing or not is besides the point. I mean, the 76ers, the basketball team, they plan to reduce their employee salaries. And then all of a sudden, they turned around and backpedaled after a huge backlash from fans. You know, people jumped their people jumped all over them. And you know what? Well, it's bad for business. It's good for business to make a buck. It's bad for business to lose half your fan base. So, I don't know. I, I don't know what they're doing. I haven't heard any more on it other than what was announced. And it... I haven't heard a statement from the organization. I haven't heard anything. So I don't know what they're trying to do to either defend it or or what. I haven't heard a thing. What about the Sabres? Well, the Sabres are in the same, same um, kind of the same boat, I think, because their employees are employed by this that same company. Their stadium employees, are, I think, are also employed by Delaware North. So I think they're affected as well. It's just a mess. It's a it's a total mess. All right. So um and I know you mentioned Eddie Lack. Is, oh, Eddie Lack is retiring. Yeah, I saw that he announced uh he was stepping down from his lengthy five year career in the NHL. Well, I mean, he has a hip problem, and he's just... Uh... Yeah, he's been out with an injury, and and I think he finally decided, you know what? We're hanging him up. You know what's kind of funny about Eddie... Not funny, but just just more of a coincidence than anything, is um, I used to watch him play when he was with the Chicago Wolves. And then, um, because the Wolves used to be affiliated with the Vancouver Canucks... And then Lack went over and became a goaltender for the Carolina Hurricanes. And then he became one of uh, Jim Howard's, uh, who one of our puck junk writers, Jim, not the goalie Howard, as I like to call him, because not to be confused with Jim, the Red Wings goalie Howard, but Jim, not the goalie Howard, our, our puck junk writer, uh, is a Hurricanes season ticket holder. And so he has a sort of fondness for Eddie Lack, Um Eddie Lack likes tacos, and he uh, actually endorsed a local taco company in um, Raleigh, which is funny because he's like wearing like a sign advertising this taco company. It's like part of the joke of the commercial. I'll put a link to it. 
Um, and then they made like this this bobblehead figure of Eddie Lack, but it's like really creepy looking because he's like smiling, but it's just like it's like this bobblehead with this really creepy grin. Um, and I just uh, yeah, so I mean he was he was um, a good goaltender for a while, and then yeah things just happen. I mean another recent retiree is uh, Jonas Hiller, if you remember him. Yes, where's he been? I mean, he was all kicking over in Europe, but um, you know what I'll miss about Jonas Hiller? I'll miss two things. Remember he had that, that matte black goalie mask when he played for the uh, Ducks? Yeah. Loved it. Just it was, it was black, but it wasn't a shiny black. It was a flat matte black that just looked really cool. I, I liked it because it was different. It wasn't complicated. It was just, it was, it was simple, but it looked really cool um and then i remember like the one year when they had the um or not the one year but the one time he was in that um when they would do the nhl all-star draft and i remember like for the draft he was wearing like these dorky glasses and i'm just like oh my god that's awesome like he just had like the the clark kent type glasses and i could like totally relate to that i'm like oh okay he wears contacts when he plays but when he doesn't play he's like clark kent he's wearing his glasses nice yeah, so I'll uh, I'll miss Jonas Hiller and uh, Eddie Lack. I know the one thing with Eddie Lack, he's got a he's got a pretty good, pretty sizable Twitter following. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's he was good friends with Roberto Longo too, and they were always they would always like pick at each other online, mm-hmm. which was always funny to read. But if you get a chance, I don't know if you've already seen it, but he posted a they they posted a uh, like a tribute video for him online mm-hmm. and uh it's pretty funny who did the uh the canucks he did oh luongo it, no eddie lack did he posted on his own twitter feed his like a tribute video of him talking to the camera about his career and so a tribute video to himself yeah it's funny oh that's okay. what i'm saying it's the, kind of like a joke sort of gotcha gotcha it's, gotcha it shows some dumb highlights of him making saves that are stupid and also missing them uh-huh and and it a couple couple digs by bobby lou so it's you have to you have to check it out if you haven't seen it all right so can we move on to some card stuff or do you want to talk more about uh, nhl stuff so i feel like we're we're sucking the crumbs at the bottom of the proverbial potato chip bag or pringles can if you will to to have a callback to our start of our podcast we're sucking the crumbs out of the Pringles can at this point. Like we're yep. not even we're not even at the Pringles that are like broken, like at the bottom of the can. Although really they don't break because the can is pretty damn solid. Best thing about a Pringles can is when it's empty, you put the lid on it and then you pound it as hard as you can and it blows the top off and makes an explosion sound. That's always fun. So <laughs> there's there's uh there is one more thing I just wanted to mention. Sure. Um so um uh, I don't know if you heard this or not, but uh, Connor Bedard, um, he is a 14-year-old forward from West Vancouver Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, he was granted exceptional player status. And so he will be playing in the WHL next year. He will be 15 when this occurs. So you say, okay, so what? Kids are young when they play hockey. Not that young. He's a quick learner. 
but 15. So granting being granted exceptional status, this is kind of significant because this has only happened seven times before. Um, so the six other guys, um, names you might never have heard of, like John Tavares, uh, Aaron Ekblad, uh, this guy from the Oilers, Connor McDavid, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Uh, I think those guys are, are good, sort of. Um, but uh, also uh, Sean Day, uh, Joseph Valeno, and uh, Shane Wright, who led the OHL in rookies with 66 points. Um, so those were the other six of these now seven players that were granted exceptional status being allowed to play in the WHL at the age of 15. So um, Regina gets to pick him with the number one pick. They've already announced that they're going to, they're going to make that selection. Nice. Um, so he will be eligible for the 2023 draft based off of um, that breakdown of year, year to year. So 2023 draft, he'll be um, eligible for. So considering the guys that have come before him, um, you know, those three names that you might not know, um, other than Valeno, I think Sean Dale is going to be on a roster. I'm pretty sure Shane Wright's going to get a shot. Uh, and the other three, obviously, are... Um, all-star, superstar, borderline guys. Ekblad was the Ekblad won the Calder. Right? He did. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's an elite it's an elite group to be in, and also raises the question: Is is there such thing as being if if you have the skills and the ability to play up? Is there such a thing as being too young? And should players be pushed through quickly like that if they have the skills that can compete? Because you got to remember, you may have those skills, but the further you get pushed along, you know, it's like it's like those kids that take all those tests at, at the age of 12 and graduate high school and become college students when they're you know, 10 years old or 12 years old, mm-hmm. you're, you're still, a, you're still a kid. You're still a child. Right. You know? So now they're playing, you know, in WHL with you know, 18. Up to 20 year olds. Up to 20 year olds. And he's going to be 15. So yeah, he may have the skills to be able to hang and compete, but they're not fully developed physically. Yeah, at that point, unless you're some kind of freak of nature that's, you know, hit your growth spurt at eight, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't know. It, it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a thing that I was, I was thinking about because yeah, you, you have those exceptions that are made and look at those exceptions. I mean, John Tavares. Okay. Hall of Famer. Most likely. Yes. Connor McDavid. I mean, Sure. You know, Aaron Eckblad, his his career has I don't want to say it's fizzled out, but you know, he doesn't get the he doesn't get the attention because he's buried in Florida. Um, so you talk about Sunbelt 
markets where people don't like hockey? Well, unfortunately, there's one. Um, but I don't know. I think. Do you put a cap on that? Do you make a limit? Do you say, yeah, we're not going to do that? Guys have to play through. They have to develop their skills and their physical. You know. Well, I think I think what you said. Okay, so we're talking about. 15 year olds playing in the Canadian hockey league. So either the, the, uh, the OHL, the WHL or the QMJHL. And the key word here is exceptional player status. Right. right. And I, th- I think that's really okay to give, you know, like you don't have to say, Oh, well, junior hockey should now allow all 15 year olds in. No, I think it's okay to make that exceptional status because why, make if the player's really good why make them play another season at a level where they're not going to get anything from it i mean look at um look at jack eichel right like what did he do his um was it eichel who played over no i'm sorry not eichel um austin matthews he played over in europe when he was 17 right right because it was a, a chance for him to play pro hockey at 17 because him playing junior hockey or whatever, it, 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 he'd already at 17, he had already done a lot, 16, 17, you know, that year he had already accomplished a lot at junior hockey. So he, need, he wanted to raise his game, raise his level or look back in like the nineties. I'll give you another good example. Radic Bonk, right. When he played for the um, Las oh. Vegas thunder in the IHL. I remember. Yeah, because he was 17 years old, but the IHL was just like, yeah, okay, you could you could play in our league at 17. You're going to be a future NHL star, maybe superstar, you know, and the, the IHL was all about that sort of thing. So, I think it's good if you if you have a great player, let him move up a level. Like let let him start a year early, right? I mean, it's like, okay, you talked about that 12-year-old kid taking high school classes now let's let me let me throw it the other way what about the 17 year old kid who was taking um college classes his senior year of high school that'd be a different story right but a 17 year old taking college college classes are usually the entry level ones that an 18 year old or a 19 year old would be taking the following year you're talking about a 15 year old playing with playing a man's game against players that are three or four years older than he is. Not all of them, though. Some are going to be 16 or 17. Again, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I was just, I was just questioning, is that a right thing? But to your, to your first point that you made, you're right. It is an exceptional thing. And just like when we argued back and forth or didn't really argue, just stated about the whole e-bug thing and changing the rules based on something that happens, you know, less frequently than Haley's Comet comes around. Well, right. no, it's it's entertaining when it happens. Well, this may turn out to be quite entertaining, you know, to see to see what this kid can do. Yeah. So, yeah, that's always exciting. I mean, I remember when Tavares got the exceptional player status. And um, I, I remember when, um, obviously, when McDavid did. So, uh, yeah, it's always exciting when uh, it, it, it kind of puts that player on your radar a little bit earlier. Like, it was funny. I mean, I was, I heard about Connor McDavid, like, way back in, like, 2012. Um, it was, um, actually, I was talking with um, 
Brian Price, who at the time was the president of In the Game Trading Cards, and he told me, he's like, you got to watch this kid named Connor McDavid. He is going to be something else. And he knew about Connor McDavid because he was talking about uh, talking with him to get his autograph on some of his cards that were going to be eventually coming out in the in the game sets. But um, and actually, I'm going to talk about Dr. Price a little later because we're going to talk about some hockey cards um, in a little bit that have to do with uh, Parkhurst and in the game. But um yeah, I, I think it's exciting when you get that that player who gets exceptional status because it just puts him on your radar a little bit earlier. And then, you know, it's like the same thing with Eric Lindros. I mean, I remember Eric Lindros when he was like 14 years old and they were saying he could probably play in the NHL now. Maybe, maybe not. He was a big dude, but we know that he was yeah, a big dude. That, he was a freak of nature. He was a big dude who, unfortunately... When he played against other big dudes, because he skated with his head down, he got he got hurt. You know, you're invincible when you're when you're six four at fourteen. All right, man, nobody can touch you, right? But when you're six four and you're playing against other guys who are six four, eh, it kind of evens the playing field a little bit. Not saying that he couldn't have played in the league when he was fourteen, um, but uh, you know, it was just entertaining to see him like. There was no exceptional status back then. I mean, he got into the OHL, although that was a whole kerfluffle, which we'll get into another time, because um, he didn't want to play for the team that originally drafted him. But, I mean, it was even funny when, like, he um, he didn't go back to junior after the Nordiques drafted him and he didn't want to play. There was really no point in him going to play junior another year. So then he was with the Canadian national team. You know what I mean? And even before that, he was with the uh, Canada Cup team, you know, because he was just like that that player, you know, he was like not even an NHL player. And he was playing on a team with 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 Gretzky and and uh, uh, Bill Ranford and, you know, Paul Coffey and those guys. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, so exceptional. <sighs> OK, I know you didn't want to talk about more plague stuff try not to sound flip about this but uh when i say plague stuff i think i'm just tired of saying covid19 or coronavirus which actually i like the way that sounds better but uh uh the uh spring sports card expo so we're shifting gears now we're going to talk about trading cards because that is actually um well what we like to talk about when we're not talking about hockey we're talking about hockey cards big big stretch there um but the biggest hockey card show in the uh in the in the world yeah in the world we could say definitely on, on the continent north america uh the the sport card expo in toronto for the spring is postponed it was going to take place may 1st to may 3rd so a little more than a month a little over a month away uh a week ago i said that on their website uh, how they were saying that they had no plans to cancel, blah, blah, blah. I, I, you could listen to last week's podcast or at least look at the notes for that. Um, actually, no, you know what? Because they changed their statement, so you can't really see their statement on their website anymore. Now they basically said, uh, Ontario has shut down large events. You know, any, any large event in Ontario has been shut down. But then you also have the closing of the Canadian-U.S. border. So people who would migrate from the U.S. to go to the show can't. 
So they're hoping to reschedule the event in the summer. Um, if there's one silver lining to this, it's that you can download a PDF of the Expo program and read my article that's inside of it. No laughter, no applause, no groan, nothing. Is your mic on? Yeah, my mic's on. Sorry. That's I, okay. I, I zoned out there for a second. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I have that effect on people. I think I have that effect <laughs> on my students. No, I'm serious. I like, I literally zoned out for a second. I was like, what am I doing? I'm like, where am I right now? I think I had, I think I had a stroke or something. What Whoa. The heck? Your, left hand, your left hand is working. Uh, I think that's my left hand. I'm not yeah, sure. it's your left. That's your left. Anyway. All right. It's, Move so, con so continuing it, so so they're going to postpone it. Did they come up with anything as far as how long? Did they give a time frame? They said they're hoping in the summer. Okay, but then that that runs up against the national. Yes, that was going to be my that was going to be yes. my my bookended point to that. Yes, please. Is everybody's holding on hope that the national is going to take place, and the whole entire argument is it's so far out that. We're going to have it. We're going to have it. We're going to have it. This is all going to be done and over with. People need to realize that almost every single place that has already put themselves on the proverbial lockdown has extended it within the last five to seven days, the time frame, mm -hmm. because this is getting worse. It's not getting better yet. It's getting worse. And part of that reason is people aren't following the instructions and doing what they're supposed to be doing. And that's stay the hell at home. That's, that's, that's all, that's all you have to do. And I understand there's many, many people that just can't do that because their jobs and, and whatnot. And that's, that's fine. But if you don't have to go out, don't. And there's people that aren't listening to that. And I'm not going to sit here and preach because that's not my job. But there's a very, very real possibility that this year's national does not take place. Or if it does, it gets postponed till late in the year, possibly at a different venue. Now, I don't know that that's going to happen. I have not gotten confirmation that that's going to happen. But the last time I checked, the convention center in Atlantic City was actually being turned into a medical facility temporarily. So take that for what it's worth. So if you have a large North American show like the Expo, postpone. It's only, I think it's only a matter of time, regardless of the fact that it's two months even further out on the schedule there could be changes. So don't be surprised if that comes down. And if it does happen, don't blame me. I'm just saying that there's a possibility. So if you postpone the expo and move it to later, and let's say the national doesn't get canceled, I really don't think you're going to see two of the biggest North American shows piggybacked off each other like that. Mm -mm, no. It's just not feasible. I mean, people make an event out of either or of these shows. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, a lot of dealers go to both. A lot of the manufacturers go to both. I mean, you're going to see that. But as far as the attendance of the people, 
People make trips out of this. They plan vacations around them. I don't think there's going to be going to to both events. So that's just my take. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, with the national being at the end of, uh, end of July as it usually is, and I believe it's around that time this year. It's, uh, it, it, it still seems far enough away that we might say, Oh, well, things might be better by then. I mean, I'm already thinking about, you know, after the show, uh, the Chicago sports spectacular was canceled in March, I was already looking to, well, maybe their show in May will run. Uh, So it it seems kind of weird that they would have a card show in Chicago uh, at the end of May. But the reason why they do that is for the people in the Midwest who don't want to go to the National in Atlantic City, New Jersey, will come to Chicago for this big card show. Sometimes you'll have dealers actually do both because they're big enough. Usually they'll prioritize the National over a summertime Chicago sports spectacular. It almost seems like the consolation prize. Like, what? You didn't have $1,000 saved up for a flight and a hotel to stay in Atlantic City? Okay, well, how about you come to Chicago for, you know, two or three days and see some cards here, right? And that seemed to that seemed to kind of be like what it was. It was kind of like the runner-up show. Um, but now I'm thinking, you know, first I'm like, well, end of May, that's a long time from now, right? And that was two weeks ago when I was thinking that. Now I'm thinking... But it's not because it's not. It's April. It's April. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's April. It's practically April by the time this gets goes online. It's just about April, and then yeah, and then okay, so that's uh, all of April. All so we're like looking at like almost sixty days. But I mean, already they're talking about extending the stay at home order in Chicago until the end of April. Right. You and, know. You know, you push these things further and further out because. It, there's so many questions, so I I don't know. But you know that's fine. I mean I've been I like I said I've been staying home. I've been you know like today I went to the grocery store just a short five minute walk, and I came home. And other than interacting with the cashier, I didn't really interact with any people. Like I've just been like just kind of just you know not hanging out in public. You know because. Um, I don't want to get, I don't want to get sick. And even, you know, even more scary about this, just to give a little bit of a personal anecdote. So I work at a a university called DePaul, DePaul University. Uh, They had a really powerful basketball team in the 80s, for those of you old enough to remember college hoops back then. And um, a staff member was diagnosed like the day after they told us everybody's staying home, no one's coming in, we're closing the school. And then a couple days ago, they announced that a, uh, another, sorry, first they announced that a faculty member was diagnosed. Then they announced that a staff member was diagnosed. And this particular staff member worked in a building that was well-trafficked. And it this person actually worked in an office that like, a lot of people would have gone to like if you needed a transcript or to pay a bill or something this was the office you'd go to like basically if you needed anything like you'd go to this office it was kind of like they're instead of having like 10 different offices for 10 different things they kind of just lumped them into one giant office um and then they would kind of direct you oh okay you need to talk to so-and-so you need to whatever right so, anyways, so the one so the- person that came in contact with 80 percent of the staff and student body 
kind of, well, maybe not, not that much. That's exaggerating. But what I'm saying is somebody in a high trafficked area. So I'm just like, man, I mean, this is, and, and the thing is, is that, you know, two weeks ago, a little over two weeks ago when they told everybody, yeah, we're closing the school. Um, this person didn't have any symptoms. Now they're having symptoms. And it's just like, wow. I mean, this is, you know, and, and, and you know, and you're thinking, oh, well, you know, maybe I'll, like, even then, like, even around, like, March 12th, March 13th, I'm like, well, maybe I'll do this card show because I feel fine and, you know, and uh, blah, 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 and this, that, and the other thing. And you're, maybe you're, you're just, you're, you're being hopefully optimistic, right? Those are the same thing, I guess. You're being, you're being, <laughs> I don't know, maybe a little ignorant, maybe a little too optimistic. I don't know, but, um, well, and that's part of the reason why it's getting to be what it what it is is I feel fine, so why should I stay in? Right. You know, I don't else... feel sick. Why should Why shouldn't I go and just do whatever I'm doing? I'm not sick. Yeah, that's not entirely. Yeah, you may not be sick, but who knows how many people are, or who knows that you're not already carrying something and it hasn't sprung loose and you're just spreading it everywhere you know everything you touch everything you every place you go every bit of air you breathe every breath i take every move i make exactly um exactly in in other news uh uh beckett is closed they're not taking any grading submissions psa is also closed and not taking any grading submissions. So if you have cards that you wanted to get graded so you could flip for big bucks on eBay, well, this year just sucks for you, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I know, uh, we both don't uh, like graded cards, but I just, it's yeah, just I like... Mean, and there's other, I mean, there's other graded card options out there. There's other companies that do grading that have said, hey, send your cards, send your cards to us when the other ones aren't aren't grading. And the other thing too is grading's got to the point where it's so overblown and the grading card companies can't keep up with the demand. So delays on shipping and everything else and completion of orders is, is enormous already. So now not only are they backed up, but now they can't even process the orders that they have. Um, so it's, Oh, it's a tough, that's a tough, uh, Tough business to be in. Yeah. So what I really want to talk about or what I'm really looking forward to talking about is um, some hockey cards that were made in the 1990s. So we try to jump around, talk about cards from the 80s, talk about cards from the 90s. Sometimes we just fixate on one set for one reason or another. Um, I want to, for this show, I want to talk about these three particular hockey card sets because they're all kind of related to one another. I kind of see them as, as a, as a work more, you know, they're individual sets, but I see the three of them as like this larger, um, I don't know what you'd call it. Just this larger, um, not trifecta, like a, a triptych, you know, just, it's, it's like a three part, almost like a, a, a trilogy. That would be a good word for it. A trilogy. So, uh, hockey cards were kind of, here and there from like the 1910s to like the 1930s and then there weren't really anything in the 40s you had like oversized opg cards and 
here and there. But it wasn't until 1951 when Parkhurst made their Parkies hockey cards. Now, Parkhurst also made gum. They also made butter. And uh, they got into... Butter? Butter, yeah. They got into the hockey card market. Um, in 1951, they made their set of cards, which is considered the first modern hockey card set. Because it was really, at this point, they made cards a couple years later. Tops made cards. Parkhurst made cards from 1951-52 to 1963-64. However, they didn't make any cards in 56-57. Neither did Tops. So what happened was, is in the mid-90s, there were these sets that came out that basically asked the question, what if Parkhurst was uh, lasted longer? What if Parkhurst made a set of cards in 56, 57? What if Parkhurst made a set of cards after 63, 64? What if Parkhurst made cards when Bobby Orr made his NHL debut, right? So what it was, was Dr. Brian Price, who later ran in the game trading cards. Now he has his, uh, a new company, President's Choice Trading Cards, been around for a couple of years. So at the time, he owned the rights to Parkhurst. He owned that trademark. And he worked with ProSet to make Parkhurst hockey cards in 91-92 and 92-93. Something that he told me that I think listeners would find interesting is that ProSet's plan for 93-94 was to expand Parkhurst to their other licenses. They were going to make, Parkhurst was going to be like their big go-to brand. They were going to make Parkhurst football cards. And if they got other sports licenses, they were going to also make those into Parkhurst cards. Kind of like Topps did with their Bowman license, where they made Bowman hockey cards, even though they didn't really make sense to hockey collectors because Bowman didn't really mean anything to hockey collectors, but Parkhurst did mean something to hockey collectors. So anyway, so Price has this license, and I talked with him recently about this to, to get some clarification on things. He had this Parkhurst license that he couldn't do anything with because he didn't have a, an NHL trading card license. So he went to Upper Deck in 93-94, and he said, look, you can use this license, this, this license to make Parkhurst hockey cards, because this brand has equity with collectors it has meaning with collectors but here's what i want to do this is I after wanna... ProSet went under this right? is after ProSet went under so 92 93 you had your ProSet um series one you didn't have ProSet series two you did have parkhurst series one and series two and i believe yeah and then they made a final update set that year and then ProSet was going to try to make a set 93-94, and Parkhurst was going to be the eggs that they were going to put into, the basket that they were going to put all their eggs into was going to be Parkhurst. That was going to be like their, um, you know, this is going to be our killer brand, right? Kind of like how Topps has Stadium Club, right? Like, um, But ProSet filed bankruptcy. Uh, the League and the Players Association didn't want to give them a license because they're like, well, you have no money. So... How are you going to make hockey cards? Why should we even, why should we give you a license? So Price took the license to Upper Deck, said, you can use this to make a new set of cards, but here's what I want. I need, I want to make these retro sets. And so while Upper Deck 
handled, I don't know if they handled the physical production of the cards. I know that they distributed them in the U.S. And his company, Parkhurst Products, distributed them in Canada. But his basically what he wanted, he had a three-year agreement with Upper Deck. And it was like, okay, Upper Deck, you can use this this brand name on hockey cards, but I need, um, you know, I basically need a sub-license from you because you have the NHL license. I don't have an NHL license. So I need your NHL license to make these cards. I don't need a Players Association license because I am working with retired players. So these were all individual contracts that he made. So the first set that he made asked the question, what if Parkhurst had made a set in 56-57? Because they made cards from 51-52 to 63-64, but they didn't make cards that year for some unexplained reason, and neither did Tops. So that set was called The Missing Link. So even though it's sometimes called the Parkhurst 56-57 set, it's really it's called the 1994 Parkhurst Missing Link set. And it basically fills in the gap. So the the site the the excuse me the set is designed very low frill very no frills very low tech player against a white background you know player cut out against a white background colored stripe on the side team logo player name the backs of the cards are brown they, they're like paper bag brown like an old parky card and uh, it was a 180 card set had some interest, you know, it had all the big names, you know, it had all the big names, had all the stars and semi-stars, usually had about 20 players per team, but there's a few interesting cards in here, like, for instance, he made a card of Glenn Hall. Now, Glenn Hall had his rookie card a couple years later in the top set, but he made a Glenn Hall card where Hall is pictured as the Detroit Red Wing. Now, Hall didn't never had a card as a Red Wing, so it's kind of a neat little tidbit, right? And he's got another one here of Johnny Bauer, uh, with the Rangers, there are some, uh, you know, Terry Sawchuck with the Bruins. Here's, uh, and then he made like coaches cards or he, they, whatever. So um, the short of it was is that um, it had all six original six teams. It uh, filled in that gap of the one year that Parkhurst didn't make cards. Uh, 180 cards plus six future stars inserts, 12 pop-ups, uh, pop-up cards of players from the 20s and 30s. And then there were autographed cards randomly inserted into boxes. And how's this for the autograph lineup? Gordie Howe, Maurice Richard, uh, Boom Boom Jeffreyon, Dump Worsley, Jean Beliveau, Frank Mahovlich. Each card was uh, 956 signed copies each. So uh, that's the first set. Tim, do you have that set or have you um, owned any of those cards or that set at all? I have a few cards out of it. I don't have the full set. Um, but it, it's always been an interesting one, um, and been on my radar. I've wanted to pick up a box of it. I've seen a box boxes a few times. They generally, when you can find them, they generally run on about 60, 70 bucks. I um, would, I'd go for a box, even though I have the set, I would buy a box just for the shot at getting an autograph of one of those players because sure and that's and that's part of the draw to that but mm -hmm. the other thing i always thought was interesting about it is you know you mentioned all six all the original six teams are are uh are included um didn't parkers back then they only made 
they only make cards of Canadians. Yeah, right? very perceptive of you, my friend. They only yeah. did, at that time they were only doing the um, the Leafs and the Canadians because they couldn't afford all to pay all of the teams. So right. they just focused on the Canadian teams because that was their market was Canada. Yeah, and so the fact that you have now this Parker set that may have been and it features all six teams when if there would have been a Parker set at that time, I don't think it would have featured all six teams. It would have been That's true. pretty much like it was because later on, I think I remember reading something at, at one time that as time went on, uh, one of the re- one of the big reasons Parker's dropped out of the card making game is teams wanted just way too much money mm-hmm. um, to be able to do it. Something like fifteen thousand dollars each team wanted fifteen grand. And that's the thing: to... the, the teams were getting the money, not the players. Right, right. The, the teams are getting the money, so yeah. So that's why in the in the fifties, Parkhurst was making cards of all six teams. But by the uh, the the 60s, they were only, you know, and then for a little while they were only doing Detroit, excuse me, uh, Montreal and Toronto. And then by the uh, mid-60s, they were doing Detroit, Montreal, and Toronto. When you talked to Dr. Price about this, did you, did you talk to him at all about what, I guess, I, I just wonder what, what he had to jump through as far as hoops go in order to get all of the subject players like signed and on board to be able to be involved in this set. Yeah. This was pre-internet. So, I mean, he had to broker deals with all the players that were in the set, all the players or their families or estates, if they had passed away. Yeah. Because you're talking players that are, I mean, a lot of these players at that point were long gone. Like, you know, Jacques Plant, you know, Terry Sawchuk, Tim Horton, guys like that had passed away. So you're talking right. about families, estates and probably lawyers. And, but you see at the time, this was, I mean, this was after that, the, this was like right after the, the card boom. So, I mean, players who might not have been getting any money to be on hockey cards in the sixties. Now somebody comes to you and says, and I don't know. So don't, don't quote me on this number, but if it's 1994, and you played 48 games for the Maple Leafs back in 1964, and somebody says, Tim, I'll give you $1,000 if I could make your hockey card, you'd probably be like, holy shit, you want to make a hockey card of me? That's awesome. Where do I sign? You know what I mean? And you'd probably be, I mean, the original six guys are all so humble, you know, that, oh, yeah. I mean, and and the fact, you know, I mean, what was Ted Lindsay going to say? No. What was Gordy right. going to say? No. They'd probably be like, oh, shucks, that's nice that you want to include me, you know, even though you couldn't really have a hockey card set without Gordy Howe, right? But um, that's, you know, so, uh, yeah, so he had to negotiate with the players, but, you know, that's probably a little bit easier than negotiating with a player's association, um, especially since these were retired guys. Yeah, I just I just think of the the sheer amount of work that had to go into that to sign every single player to their own contract and everything mm-hmm. else and just negotiating with them. I mean, that's, it's crazy. It is, but it's crazy you know, to think about, but that was kind of like, if you think about it though, that was kind of in the game's business model in the two thousands, like when they didn't have a PA license and they were doing a lot of like heroes and prospect sets. Right. Sure. Um, so, 
so yeah, so the uh, oh, and another thing about the uh, missing link set is that um, so nineteen one thousand nine hundred and fifty six cases were sold in Canada, and another one thousand nine hundred and fifty six cases were sold in the U.S. I don't know how many boxes per case, maybe twenty, maybe ten. I don't know, but so there is a finite amount of these, but there's enough of them out there that you could definitely find a set, um, you know, track down a set. $20-$25, put it in pages. It looks beautiful. I mean, it's just like old classic Parkhurst design. Um, and like I said, there's some interesting cards of like uh there's cards of players who never got cards. There's cards of players pictured with teams that they were never really pictured with. Uh there are cards of coaches, which were a bigger thing back then. But to me, it still seems like such a novel concept. And then they have like the, you know, the leaders cards and they have like the um, action cards and stuff like that. So it's, it's you know, you know, the, the all-star cards and like some action cards and uh, trophy cards. And, um, you know, so that's one or that was the first set that they did. Now, Price's up, uh, agreement with Upper Deck was three years. So it's so like 93 to like 90, 93, 94, 95 or something like that. Um, and so he had to get these sets out in a hurry. So um, the first set was put out in, uh, I want to say like it was midway through the 93, 94 season. And then the next set that he put out was like more towards the 94, 95 season. And that was called the 1994 Parkhurst Hallboys set, um, sometimes, uh, uh, 90, yeah, 1994 Parkhurst Hallboys set, but, you know, I'll refer to it as 6465 Parkhurst. So what this was now is, what if Parkhurst had continued making cards after 6364? Hockey cards were becoming less and less profitable for the company. They were getting, they were making more money with, like, food products than with trading cards so that's why they stopped making the cards just so that they could focus their efforts on things that were turning more of a profit so um this question is now what if parkers had continued past 63 64 so 64 65 tops hockey the cards were are referred to as tall boys because they're taller than normal cards instead of being two and a half by three and a half the tops cards that year were two and a half by four and eleven sixteenths Right, so almost four and three quarter inches tall. So the Parkers. Where do they come uh, up with that number? I, I don't know. They probably had sheets of cardboard that they were able to figure out how many they could print per, um, you know, print per sheet or whatever. Now with tops, I mean, tops to the tall cards with their basketball sets and football sets as well. So I think right. for tops, they were just trying to do stuff that was different because baseball was king and they were trying to make the other sports you know stand out and so if you were like oh well those cards are bigger maybe they're better because they're bigger there's more player picture on them or something what parkhurst did that year in 94 for the 64 65 tall boys set so they made a match that top set which makes sense because Okay, it's different. I know a lot of people are annoyed by tall cards, but it feels right. It almost feels that like if Topps was coming out with a tall set, that Parkhurst would have been like, oh yeah, we'll do that too. And we'll do that better than you, right? 
Or if anything, it just kind of gives it that retro feel because it's a tall card. And we don't think of tall cards as something that's new. We think of tall cards as something that's old, right? Like you're probably like if you've seen the Joe Namath rookie card, right? It's one of those tall tops football cards, right? Right. So, I mean, we think of that and we think of it as like being retro or old. So now um, what's interesting about this is that there were some packaging variants. Um, boxes that were sold in the U.S. had Bobby Hull on them, and boxes that were sold in Canada had Dave Keon on them of the of the Maple Leafs. Uh, there were six Future Stars um, cards. There were 12 Canadian-American greats. Now, these cards were actually printed to look like 5152 Parker's cards. They were printed on the tall boy size, but... Most of it was just blank area, and then it had, like, in the middle, it had the um, 5152 card design printed in the middle of it. And then the autographs that you could pull, and these were limited to 964 copies each. Rod Gilbert, Yvonne Cornoyer, Bobby Hall, Phil Esposito, Gordie Howe, and Dave Keon. Another killer lineup of cards. Now, all three of these sets had uh, special binders that you could send away from. I have the Tall Boys binder. It's just a nice, bright red, uh, yellow, blue, and white binder that has, like, parky Tall Boys on it. You know, it's just it's, it's designed uh, to kind of look like um, like the packaging. And um, uh, they, did set, they did binders for all three years. However, that's the only one I've seen the binder for. And I assume this is another set that you... Uh, never bought or just never got into I, I did not this one was never on my radar and i've i honestly i do not have a single card from this set you know what's funny you know how i i i, I don't even remember okay i remember missing link coming out and i remember that being really publicized in beckett hockey back in the day i do because i remember seeing the pictures for it it was like a big question mark in the middle and it said mm-hmm. like what if or something like that on it so the next, uh, so this set, I don't remember being advertised. Like, I'm sure it was advertised, but I was at a Kmart, and this might have been like, is this might have been 1996. And this was right around the time when Kmart was taking like old boxes of cards or semi recent boxes of cards, like putting an extra layer of shrink wrap around them with like a sticker that said do not open full box sale only and then selling them. And I want to say I bought this box for $9.99. It's the wow. same time. Yeah. And I found like it was either $9.99 or $19.99. It was still something. It was still a no brainer. It was still just like, Oh wow. Cool. 20 bucks. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and I bought it, I took it home and I opened them and I made a set. I, I made a set. Like I was missing like one card and like my local card shop actually had that one card that I needed, which was just, great <laughs> um so the collation was pretty good um and you know one thing i like about this set and the next set i'll talk about in the previous set the missing link set although maybe not as much um just because it was an older set is that in the 90s and in the two even in the the, the mid 2000s when i was writing to players for autographs there were still a lot of these original six players who are still alive and I would send them these cards, you know, maybe you don't want to send uh, Bernie Jeffrey on his rookie card. That's worth, you know, $800 and hope that gets to him and that he signs it. 
and sends it back to you and doesn't give it to his grandchildren or great grandchildren or whatever. Um, so you send him some of these tall boy cards that you could get relatively cheap. You know, you say, Oh, I want to write to Ted Lindsay. I'll send him this tall boy card, or I'll send him this 5657 missing link card, right? Because they were relatively inexpensive. You could find, even if you just found them like, uh, as singles, we're talking like 25 cents to a dollar each. So they were inexpensive. They, you know, didn't have gloss on them. So the, the, any autographs wouldn't smudge and they were relatively expendable. If you lost them, it wasn't the end of the world. So these were great to get signed by the, uh, the original six players. And and that's another reason why, like, not only did I have sets of these, but I, I bought extra sets of them just for that purpose. Just so I could say, I'm going to write to Stan Makita and send him this card, or I'm going to write to Glenn Hall and send him this card. And many times they'd come back signed. How many, how many from this set have you gotten signed? Um, I can give you that, uh, here, fill some, Talk about something interesting while I uh, look that number up. Talk about something interesting. Man, I don't have anything interesting to talk about. I just wondered, the only reason why I ask is because, um, you know, we we, ha- we have the lovely Puck Junk Facebook group now, and there's been a couple collectors in there posting images of their collections where they've been putting together entire sets and getting every card in the set signed. And so that's, I think that's a, a huge go. undertaking to, to have done. So I just wondered, you being the master completist that you are. How many? So of the 6465 Tallboy set, so it is a 180 card set, if I remember correctly. I didn't actually jot down that yeah. note off. Okay, no, yeah. that's right. That's 180. 180. Yep. And if, I just have... Just the base cards. Well, yeah, not counting the inserts. And I have 73 of them signed. Wow. So not even half the set. That's still a lot, though, considering the subject matter. Yeah, and as far as Missing Link, that was a little bit harder because at that time, um, I was sending these out. A lot of these guys had already passed away, you know, because a lot of them would have played in, like, the 40s and 50s. So by, like, the 90s or 2000s, um, Missing Link, I only have 37 of them signed. Um, but still, I mean, some of the names I got. So from the Missing Link set, which featured guys from 56, 57, some of the ones that I got signed, I'll just cherry pick some of the good ones here. Fern Flamin, um, Doug Moans, Milt Schmidt, Pierre Pilat, Eric Nestorenko, Ted Lindsay, Bill Deneen, Red Kelly, Johnny Busick, Marcel Pronovost, Alex Del Vecchio, Jean Beliveau, Andre Richard, um... Johnny Bauer, Dick Duff, Howie Meeker, Jean Beliveau, Bill Gadsby, another Ted Lindsay, another Red Kelly, uh, Dickie Moore, um, another Bill Gadsby, Harry Howell, Norm Ullman, you know, so some of the... You got a a Johnny Bauer in there? I do. Or is it Johnny Bowers on the card? Uh, Most of them were back then? I I don't know. I don't don't have the card in front of me. I have a Johnny... Let me see here. No, that's a Terry Sawchuck. Hang on a second. I got a few. Yeah, I got one. Nah, you know what? They wouldn't have they they wouldn't have screwed with their name on a on a on a neo retro set, as I like to call them. Back so, in the, back in the early days, uh, his first few cards had his name as Johnny Bowers, and then when they picked up on it and made the correction, the next year that Parkhurst came out with it, they still 
made it wrong on the front, but they corrected it on the back of the card. Yeah, well, we all know nobody reads the backs of the cards. Yeah. So, um, so um, oh, you know, another little tidbit was that actually this plan to make these retro sets goes back to uh, Dr. Price's days with Pro Set. That was originally when he was planning this out. So he might have actually already had that plan in motion when he took the idea to Upper Deck. You know what I mean? Like, he could have been laying the groundwork prior to that. This isn't something he cranked out and, you know, that was done in six weeks, you know? Right. Um, so then, the, so then, uh, the third set that he made, so you think, okay, they did a, they did a missing link set. They did a 64, 65 Parkhurst set. Uh, so the next logical step would be, you would think to be, to make a 65, 66 set, right? Cause that would be the next one in the progression. No. Instead, well, you would think, right? Well, maybe not. What they did was. They did a, in 1995, they did a set from, that was meant to look like a 66, 67 set. And I said to Dr. Price, I said, why did you do a 66, 67 set and not a 65, 66 set? He said, my contract with Upper Deck was for three years and I needed to do these three sets. And he said, and I really wanted to get Bobby Orr involved. And 66-67 was his rookie year, so they were able to put a Bobby Orr card in the set, and it made sense. So the 66-67 set, now this one is a beast. And actually, there's some cards here that have, or not cards, actually, coins that eluded me. Because there was 150 cards, and then there were 120, car, 120 coins. And I don't have the coin set i have the card set that i bought a number of years ago but uh the coins there were one per pack and so these are designed to look like the old sheriff coins from the the 60s Ah, uh, yes yeah so there was like as far as cards 150 cards then six first team all-star cards which were a mail-in set six scoring leader cards which were a mail-in set six trophy winner cards which were uh, which were another mail-in set Five Super Rookie Bobby Orr inserts, five Mr. Hockey Gordie Howe inserts, and then with the coins, there was 120 coins plus five uh, extra ones of Howe and another five of Orr. Uh, 2,516 box cases were made. Bobby Orr autographed 500 cards. Gordie Howe autographed 500 cards. This would be another box that would be fun as hell to open just for a chance to get an autograph from either of those too. Now these I have ne I have never seen one of these. So like I said I've seen the missing link boxes and they get 60 70 bucks most of the time. I've seen the other set um not I I've, I've seen I think I've seen the Dave Keon boxes more often than I have the Bobby Hall boxes. Uh-huh. But, you know, those I see those for 40 bucks. Which ones? The uh, tall boy boxes? The tall boy boxes. Yeah. But um, these 66, 67s, I have never... I, I know what the box looks like. I've never once seen one. Yeah. So I don't so, know if they dried up pretty quick. I see the mail-in sets all the time. But I've I never I think never the mail-in sets might have been dumped. 
because they seem to show up a lot, don't they? Yeah, yeah. Because there are only six cards, and they're always like included, like, oh, buy a hundred dollars worth of stuff, get a free gift, and that's one of the free gifts. And they're always already they're always wrapped. Yes, they're in the cellophane, and it's like, uh, okay, these are cool. thing about like when you have a card company and like when they're kind of at the end of their contract and then they just they you know so those probably made it to the secondary market because parker's products couldn't sell them you know because that was his agreement or that i don't know so i'm just speculating here but i mean you'll see that you know you'll see that a lot of times with uh with like cards where like you know they have all these extra mail away sets that nobody wanted you actually you'd see that a lot with like toys like They'd have like G.I. Joe figures that were like mail away premiums and like nobody would they'd have more supply than demand. So then they'd end up at like Chuck E. Cheese as like prizes or something. I'm I'm not making that up. I'm serious. Like you could go to Chuck E. Cheese in like the mid 90s. And if you had enough tickets, you could get like a bagged G.I. Joe figure that Hasbro once upon a time was a mail away figure. But they'd be like, "Eh, well, we got all these Cobra Commander figures that we can't sell anymore because we discontinued making G.I. Joes. So they would just, you know, fire sale them off to somebody else and let them have them. I don't think I ever had enough tickets to buy a G.I. Joe. No, I usually just enough to buy uh, an army guy. A bunch of Tootsie Rolls and some plastic hopping frogs. Actually, you know, my sister got the coolest... Um, it wasn't from Chuck E. Cheese. Let me think about this for a second. Celebration from- Station. It was from Dave and Buster's. Dave and Buster's. Dave and Buster's. And she and and what she saved up enough tickets for this. It was a autographed photo mounted on a plaque of Walter Payton. And I wanna say it was it was either how many tickets was that? I don't know, but she like actually, and this was after he passed away. This was like maybe four or five years after he passed away. And she just played skee ball to get that. And it was, it was like authenticated. It was like, it was sold by a third party. It was like, I don't know if it was an upper deck product or if it was, but it was like a legit company. And she just said, yeah, I don't think this is fake because a it's from this company and B it's, a prize at this other company. You know what I mean? And I don't think Dave and Buster's is going to want to have a fake Walter Payton autograph as a prize that you could exchange tickets for. But that was like something she like. And see, she spent $30,000 and tokens to try to win that. I I don't know how much she spent. It was probably, (laughs) it was probably more than $10 and less than $30,000. $29,998. A steal at twice the price. Yes. So, so this sixty-six, sixty-seven Parkhurst uh, set that was made in ninety-five, the one hundred and twenty coins. If any of you listening have extra coins, send them my way because I'm gonna actually try to build that set because it frustrates me when there's like a '90s card or card-like thing that I don't have. It's like, what? Really? I don't have that full insert set. Well, I must do something about this, right? I must. I must get this card because I think I have everything from at least from like 90 to 95. And when I have something, when there's something that I don't have from one of those years, I'm like, man, I got to up my game. I have a few of these from the set, but I don't have any of the coins. Like I never, I never got the coins just because uh, 
it's a, it was a coin. Yeah. And, and to, to me, they were just a novelty kind of thing. I mean, almost like pogs. It's like, now I will tell really you this. Why. When I do get the coin set, I will have the right pages to put them in. I imagine you would. Yeah, they fit in the pog pages I have. How many? How many coins are there? One hundred and twenty. Plus, there, plus ten inserts. I was going to so, say, weren't there some additional ones that weren't numbered? Yeah, one hundred and thirty total. Okay. Yeah. So, so um, they made these three. So Parkhurst made these three retro sets, partnering with Upper Deck to use their license, their NHL license. So. Another thing I asked Dr. Price. So first I said, do all, did all three of these sets have special albums? And he said, yes, they do. I'm looking at them right now on my shelf. So there were mail away albums for the Missing Link set and for the 66-67 set. Um, but I've never seen the ones for the Missing Link set or the 66-67 the, uh, set. Uh, the other thing I asked him, I said, what if if I know this was just a three-year deal, three years, three sets, and then the deal was done. I said, but if you had extended this deal, what would have been next for this retro set? Because I, I love these sets, right? I, I think they're cool. I mean, I love the fact that in the 90s or 2000s that I was able to get cards of old hockey players for not a lot of money. You know, $25 for a set with just, like, cards of legends? That's a deal. That's a steal, man. I mean, that is, like awesome the tall boy set i mean okay maybe you don't like them because they're oversized but if you just look at the sheer star power that's in that set i mean and you wouldn't pay a lot of money for it and you'd have some cards of some legends so i love those and i was just like well what else would you have done and he said mm, the two that come to mind he would have considered a 50 51 parkhurst set like what would they have looked like before that first year yeah. And the other idea that he said that he would have liked was doing a 67-68 set. Because that was the first, that was the, the expansion year. That would be interesting. You know, and then, you know, to actually do cards 67. Because if you remember the tops cards from 67-68, they didn't have the, like, their Penguins uniforms or their Seals uniforms or their Flyers uniforms, right? They were just like, and I don't have too many cards from that set because it's, Hard, you know, they're they're not as easy to find as the later years. Uh, but he would have done a, a 67-68 set, possibly would have done a 67-68 set where he would have had the cards from the expansion era players in their expansion uniforms. And I, I think that would have been pretty cool to see like what would a first look like right on the cusp of the 70s. Yeah, that would definitely been interesting, and they would have, I'm sure, been able to weed through a whole bunch more photos that are available now that weren't, or that would have been available then in the mid nineties that weren't available at the time. Right. Yeah, ex exactly. Cause there was, um, there, yeah. Cause the later you went, the more photos there were. Um, but I think about like the tops cards from like the late sixties, like how a lot of the designs were like moving, towards like pop art like you're, you're starting to get like some of the bright colors and some of like the abstractions where you'd have like the players cut out and then they put 
be put in front of like just like either an illustrated background or just a solid bright color or something like that. So it would have been interesting to see if Parkhurst also um, adopted that aesthetic either back in the day or even in the 90s as just kind of like a neo retro set just to kind of to, to fit that look because the sets that they made the missing link set and the tall boy set and the 67 68 set um sorry 66 67 set they all really grabbed that aesthetic really well that trading card aesthetic so it would have been cool to see how they would have moved that you know going forward yeah and that 67 set is that's exactly what it is it's like the it's the player it's the player superimposed over top of the community chest background <laughs> yeah right exactly it's it's kind of silly yeah. um but I kind of like that. I kind of, I, I like it back in the day. I kind of like that look. I think when they, when like Upper Deck tried to do that, like 20 years later or 30 years later, it just seemed kind of, um, I don't know, like not as cool for some well, reason. You have to try to capture the, not only the design, you have to capture the style and the essence of that time. And when you mm-hmm. take cards and you make them look retro, but they're on heavy card stock and they're glossy and all that kind of, it takes away from it. Cause you're like, yeah, this is not what that would look like back then. So it's gotta be on, you know, the flat cardboardy stock. It's gotta be dull. It's gotta, yeah. you know, have some imperfections in the printing or, you know, something. And, and I think a lot of the retro designs that the manufacturers are doing now try to capture that tops does that a lot with their heritage sets mm-hmm. every, every year in baseball. Um, but, uh, you know, you don't really have, you don't get a lot of these throwbacks as much in hockey. Well, you know, one set, and this is changing the subject a bit, but uh, 2012-13 uh, Rockford Ice Hogs team issue set. So the Ice Hogs are the AHL team for the Chicago Blackhawks. The set they put out that year were designed to look like 74 75 tops hockey but they were um they were bad on purpose they were um they they were made to look off center a little bit like especially on the back it looked like the stats went almost all the way to the edge of the cards uh but not because the text was too big but it was like they were on purpose trying to make them look like they were a little miscut um and the players were actually photographed just in front of like a blank wall or maybe superimposed in front of that wall later. But they even put like the heavy shadow behind the player like they were getting hit with a flash from a camera. So it was uh, it was a really cool set. And I remember the Carter Hutton card was horizontal and he's just kind of doing like this kind of kick save almost like the Glenn Hall rookie card where like his leg is extended out and his glove is extended out but he's not wearing his mask and he's kind of looking at the camera but kind of also looking where his glove hand is going and I'm just like man they just really nailed that and I remember one year getting a card signed by um, Brandon Sod, and he saw that and he thought it was the coolest thing and he turned to the guy like the I call them the handlers, but they're the person who's there to make sure that like fans don't be like, oh, can you sign these 20 cards for me or whatever, right? And so he like picked up the card and he like had to turn and he'd explain to the guy, like, oh, look what they did with our team set this year. Are these not the coolest things? These look like old cards from the 70s. And he just thought it was the shit. He was just like, 
this is a great set. Well, and it was. Right. Yeah, and, and it's because they did everything right. They didn't just riff this old design, but they riffed this old design and they printed it on like that kind of brown papery card stock and things were off center and there were like heavy shadows and there was just like imperfections. I mean, it was just such a beautiful set. I mean, it, this is the essence of, of, of the podcast is me geeking out about a minor league set that maybe 10 of you have seen, but <laughs> go get one. It's, it, it's got a lot of future stars in that set or future NHLers, I should say. Well, and it boils down to, being able to not only appreciate the cards for what they are, but being able to appreciate the history behind them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So the, uh, the, the Parkhurst sets and I'll have, I'll have links to the checklists in the, in the show notes below. Um, definitely worth, uh, tracking down if you're somebody who, uh, you know, has an appreciation. I mean, if you're a hockey card collector, then they're definitely, you know, like just, tried and true hockey card collector that's like a no-brainer because uh you know it's old players but relatively new and inexpensive sets um but if you're somebody who appreciates those older things like if you're like more of a casual card collector like you maybe got in this year or last year um this is just a cool set uh for me hockey cards were always about connecting with the history of the sport um and i think this is a great way to connect to that original six era um and get some cards of like some of those players that you normally couldn't afford. Like, okay, so we know it's not a real Bobby Orr card from 1966. It's a Bobby Orr card from 1995. Made to look like it's from 1966, but it's still pretty damn cool. I mean, it's got the right uh, right year of photo on it, and it's just I don't know, just neat. Yeah, and and new new to the game, I'm gonna guess you're you're not gonna be shelling out the couple thousand dollars for the the real bobby or rookie at least this early in the game no that's when you build you build up to you know you don't start well maybe you start with but most likely you (laughs) it's all downhill from there if you go with that one as your as your entry yeah that is that is true so um any last things you want to say before we uh, wrap this one up? Because I pretty much said all, all I needed to say. No, I think uh, we pretty much covered it. It was nice to talk about those sets. Um, you know, it's funny, the one's called The Missing Link, but to me, all three are Missing Links. You know, they're, they're not ones that you get, that get a lot of focus and get a lot of uh, publicity, I guess, in the hobby. They don't get a lot of hobby love put it that way no and and that and again like i said they they were made in enough quantities that they are not super hard to find but at the same time they weren't made in such massive quantities that you are overwhelmed by them like if you go to a show and you're like they got 94 93 94 you know upper deck and 93 94 stadium club right like they're they're like sets that you're just going to see tons and tons and tons of and then from like the 90s but these are the things that you're going to find like once in a while they're like those diamonds in the rough but they still don't cost that much so um yeah i'd i'd recommend going out and getting i'd say getting all three of them or if at the very least just getting some of the cards from your favorite teams not not that I make any commission off of this. I'm just saying what I like, you know. Um, 
or especially uh, some of the guys no, who are not still alive. Break the yeah, and you're not going to break the bank on them. I think all three of them, you can find them for about 20 to 30 bucks each. If yeah. You can find, if you can find them and they're out there. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, just one one thing I want to mention is, as we wrap it up, uh, you brought up our, our Puck Junk Facebook group. If you want to join that, and I'll put a link to it below, but uh, facebook.com slash groups slash Puck Junk. We are up to over 200 members now, um, and we just keep growing every day. Uh, we got people in our group who are card collectors, jersey collectors, some people who just like play rec league hockey, some people who just like to talk about hockey, maybe aren't like collectors, but they go to the games or whatever. So, um, former NHLers. Oh yeah. We got a, we got a, we got a former NHLer in our, uh, got a former actor in our group. We got a former fake hockey enforcer. Yeah. Um, (laughs) yeah, definitely. A couple of guys who, uh, Start in the Roller Hockey International League from the from the nineties. So I mean, we're not just ice hockey, but you know, well, roller hockey is like a, a first cousin, you know, or cousin cousin. Hockey is hockey. Hockey is hockey. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so definitely check out our uh, Facebook page, and um, obviously, if you like this podcast, like and subscribe to it. Tell your friends about it. Uh, please help spread the word. Uh, I appreciate any little leave a push- comment. Oh, yeah, how about it? That's the one thing we're lacking. We know people are vocal. Leave a comment. Wherever wherever you find us, if there's an ability to leave a comment, do it. Yeah, you can leave it on Facebook. You can leave it on Twitter. You can leave it as a, a reply to the blog post. This is posted on. Yeah, we just want to hear from you. We'll definitely have to we'll have to start up our questions again. Yes, we got to go back to the mailbag. So, all right, well, uh, until next time, everybody, please continue to wash your hands and to stay indoors and to socially distance yourself. And until next time, thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. Stay home. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at Puck Junk. <laughs>